Good morning. The last time that I was filling in for the pastor was about six months ago, I guess, when our VBS team and went to East Tennessee to minister to a, a church there, a church that Bill and Jenny Rapper are now in. And so um, I have the privilege to fill in again for the pastor this morning as our mission team is in Spain, the pastor and his family and and uh, Reuben and Martha Flores and Ella Yendel are in Spain. They've been there for roughly a week now. And so they'll be returning home this next week. And, and so just uh, be in prayer. Be in prayer for the team as they've been over there. They'll continue to, to witness to those who need to know Jesus and then pray for their safe travel back home this coming week. The last time that, that I was here, uh, the message was the believer's battle. And um, today the message is the believer's victory. And so let's begin by reading together God's holy word. So if you would please stand for the reading. I, I'll, I'll read the word. If you'll please stand as I read. And this is in the book of Revelation chapter 14 verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. And they opened us with a prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for your holy word. Father, we come to this place to worship you. We come to this place to sing praises to you. And dear Heavenly Father, I pray that nothing will go out of my mouth this morning that is not exactly what you won't say. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. You may recall when we were speaking roughly six months ago that in talking about this believer's battle, we looked at a couple of churches. Actually, one of the letters to the Galatian church is churches. Uh, there's a number of churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, the other church that we looked at was Ephesus. And as you may, may recall, with the Galatian church, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? You, you? you saw clearly your salvation when you accepted the Lord Jesus. I know you did. I was with you. But somehow along the way, you've, you've, you, you begin living and walking, not in the spirit, but in the flesh. Were you, were, were, were you saved in the flesh? 
course not. You weren't. You know you weren't. You're saved in the spirit. Why are you walking in the flesh? And then Paul goes on in chapter 1 of that book to Galatians. He says, and, and, and where you are now, you got there so quickly. I marvel, is what Paul says. I, I marvel in just how quickly you went from salvation by grace through faith and not of works. How quickly you went from there to walking in the flesh, walking with physical eyes instead of walking in the spirit. How did that happen? How, how did that happen to the churches in Galatia? And I'm going to suggest that question maybe is appropriate to ask ourselves. How does that happen with us? Then we looked at the church in Ephesus. And we looked at Revelation chapter 2. And we, verses 1 through 3, we saw the accolades that came from the Lord Jesus regarding that church. And when we looked at the church at Ephesus, we looked at the history of that church a little bit. And we saw how Aquila and Priscilla Apollos, they ministered in that church. Paul ministered in Ephesus for three years. And his close associate, Timothy, worked in Ephesus. And, and, and most historians believe that the Apostle John ministered there as well. That's a first century who's who of Christian theologians and teachers and preachers. So if any church would get it right on how to, to walk in a way worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk in the Spirit, you'd think that, that church would get it right. And, and the first three verses of Revelation 2, Paul talks about how he knows their works, their labor, their patience, how they cannot bear those who are evil, that they, they being a doctrinally sound church, a model church, Right? until you get to verse 4 in Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus uses the word nevertheless. You know something not good is coming after nevertheless. And what preceded it was accolades, things that you're doing, that you're doing good. And what Jesus says in verse 4, he says, you, you, you left your first love. Wow, first love. Who, what, what was that? Their love for Jesus. You left. Le, left is a word, an action word. They moved. Now the good news about leaving someplace, you, you, you know how to get back. Praise God for that. But they left. They left their first love. A Bible-studying, doctrinally sound group of believers left their first love? Do, do, do you believe these believers to the church of Ephesus stopped loving Jesus? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so at all. I, I, I don't believe that if you're a born-again believer, you'll stop loving Jesus. Then what happened? How did their love grow cold? How did they become indifferent? 
kind of like the Galatian church. Something happened. What happened? Maybe, maybe, they, they stopped loving the things that Jesus loves. Maybe that's what they did. Because I don't believe they'd stop loving Jesus. But maybe they stopped loving the things that Jesus loves. Maybe their love for Jesus wasn't evident in the way that they lived their life. That kind of feels kind of like the Galatian church a little bit. Walking in the flesh, becoming indifferent, get, getting tangled up with a, with, with a lot of things going on, you know, living their life, working, taking care of a family. And oh yeah, and in the first century, they did have to deal with the Sanhedrin and they did have to deal with Roman soldiers. So they got some persecution going on, that, that big time persecution. And, and, you know, trials and tribulations, those can, those can maybe cause us to, to not look firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in a way accordance with him. When Jesus was on this earth, we know he came to die and take our sins away. We, we know that. But he, he, he was also an example. He gave us an example of, of how, to, how to live. And, and, and one of the most powerful examples I think we can find in the Bible is Matthew chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Thinking about maybe the coldness, maybe the indifference was living a life that doesn't demonstrate a love for Jesus. We know Jesus loves people. That's why he came to this earth. He loves people. And so that should be what we're about as believers. When, when Jesus was on walking on the Sea of Galilee as he was beginning his ministry, he, he, he came across a couple of guys fishing. Remember those guys? I mean, they there was a guy named Peter and there was a guy named Andrew, and, and, and they're fishing, right? And Jesus walks by, and he says, follow me. Follow me. And do what? And I will make you fishers of men. Here's a couple of guys living their life, going to work, fishing. Jesus comes by. Stop what you're doing. I'm going to change your focus. You're out here bringing fish into a boat. I'm going to show you how to focus on men and women and boys and girls. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll show you how to extend love people that you come in contact with. You'll, you'll be my disciple, and you'll be pointing to me, to me as Messiah. Follow me, and I'll change your life. You won't, you won't be anything like you are now. Just drop what you're doing and follow me. There's a, another example that, that, that Jesus gave us in, 
I like for us to turn to this one. This is in John chapter 21. And John is in recording a conversation between Jesus and Peter. John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He, Jesus, saith, Feed my lambs. Verse 16. He saith to him again, the second time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. In verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou know all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now, I, I, I know we go from lambs to sheep. I, I know that there's a difference in love. It's agape in the third time. I, I get all that. But what I believe Jesus is saying, and, and, and oh, and, and you, uh, why three times? Oh, I mean, some will say, well, Peter denied Jesus three times. That's why I asked him three times here. I say, no, I don't think that's it at all. Well, three is, uh, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That, 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 that's a real biblical word. Seven is two. Seven is a special number, two. So why didn't he ask him, you know, seven times? I think that there, there's a hint in verse 17. Peter is saying, I love you. And Lord, I know you know everything. I know you know my heart. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love you. I think Peter realized he does love the Lord. But is he serving the Lord? Some call this, this scripture the service test. Are you serving? Are, are, are you serving the Lord? I love you, Lord. And Jesus kept asking him until I, I believe it, it, it hits Peter in, in verse 17. I know what you're asking me. I love you. I think Peter's convicted that I'm not serving you like I should. I'm not feeding your sheep. But you see, that's Jesus loves people. He loves people. And that's what Peter's supposed to be about, demonstrating that love through the way he serves people. We're supposed to serve. And in our service, it demonstrates our love. Paul, Paul speaks about the believer's battle in Romans 7, 15 to 18. We won't read the, 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 whole, the whole passage, but at the end of the passage, it says, For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Is Paul not lamenting the how? How? For the Galatians, not walking in spirit. 
How? It was Peter, not serving. Paul is lamenting. How? But how to perform that which is good? I find not. It's so interesting. If we, if we went back to Galatians and looked at chapter 5, verse 16, we would see Paul says to the Galatians, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's how you do it. But Paul wrote the letter, right? He wrote the letter to the Galatians. He seems to be real good on telling them what to do, but it seems like he struggles a bit with himself because he says, I can't seem to do the things that I ought to do. You, you know the scripture. I keep on doing what I shouldn't do, and I do what I shouldn't do. Oh, wretched man am I. So, so, so this, this how thing, how do we walk in the Spirit? We, we talked the last time. We read our Bible, yes. We pray, yes. Got to do those things. But there's, a, there's another thing that I think is so critical to walk in the Spirit. And then those trials and those tribulations that the first century church was going through, those Romans, Spears, arresting Christians. Those, those, those daily trials and tribulations, those, those can be like the, the things in our lives that we deal with and we, we struggle with and, and maybe, maybe we, we take us off course and maybe we're not demonstrating the love that we have for Jesus because we're kind of tied up doing a lot of other things. Let, let's turn to First Peter real quickly here thinking about these trials and these tribulations, and just, just in case we wanted to use that as, as an excuse, 1 Peter 4.12, we read, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So, so what's Peter saying? I mean, it, okay, you're going through fiery trials. You think that's strange? You think that's odd? Jesus told us that, 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 that the world would hate us because they hated him. So these, these, these trials and these tribulations is a part of life. You, and you, can't get, you, you can't let that knock you off your course of loving Jesus and showing how you love Jesus by serving others. And then verse 13, get, get, get verse 13. Here, here's the real kicker, right? But rejoice. <laughs> not only do you need to endure and persevere through the trials and tribulations, not only should they not knock you off course and cause you not to show the love of Christ in you to those around you, but you need to rejoice. You, you, you need to rejoice. James, he says something similar in James chapter 1. Count all joy when, I fall into, when you fall into various trials and tribulations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to paraphrase, it'll make you better. And that's not exactly how it says the rest of that, but it's okay. Count all joy. Here it says, rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy partakers in suffering with Jesus. So trials and tribulations are going to come. It's a, part, it's, it's a part of being a Christian. And we cannot let the trials and tribulations take our eyes off Jesus. Expect them. 
Peter, says, Peter says. That's not a strange thing that you're in trials and tribulations. If you're standing up for Jesus Christ, you're going to endure trials and tribulations. Rejoice. You're partakers with Christ in the trials and tribulations. So how? How, how do we, in our daily living, walk in the Spirit? How, how, how do we guard against not letting our love grow cold? How do we demonstrate to those around us the love that we have for Jesus? How in the world do we count it all joy when we, fall, when we have these fiery trials come our way? I believe there's a, there's a key, and we all know this key. That I, I, that's, I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to just make these more than just words. And I want to go back to chapter 14, the verse that I read when we began. Chapter 14, verse 1. And this is the book of Revelation. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. If you just flip back a couple of pages to chapter 5, verse 6, you'll see the introduction of the Lamb and who the Lamb is in Revelation 5, 6. And, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb as it had been slain. Another chapter of, or before we're, we're introduced to the throne. It's just the throne room of Almighty God, God the Father. That's the throne. John was called up into heaven. If you go, if you go to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, after this I looked, and the eye is John. The apostle John is on the island of Patmos. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee these things which must have, have to happen. Verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit. I do not believe that John, in some metaphysical sense, physically went up to heaven. I believe, let me, let me restate that, is going to <laughs> Go up to heaven. This is this is these things we're reading about are going to happen. He says, "I was in the spirit." He was deep in prayer. His spirit. He was praying deep in spirit, and we see that in chapter one. And so he's he's in the spirit in heaven, and he sees God's throne. And he sees the four beasts, and he sees the four and twenty elders, and he sees a lamb as it had been slain in the midst of the throne. And that's Jesus, the Lamb of God. So back to chapter 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion? Mount Zion is considered Jerusalem. Many will they think of a single mount, that there's a number of hills that make up Jerusalem. The single mount that most people think of as Mount Zion is what was called Mount Moriah, 
and it's where Abraham took Isaac to offer him. Mount Moriah is also where Solomon built his temple. And today, on top of the ruins of Solomon's temple is the Temple Mount, or the Dome of the Rock, which is the third most holy place of the world of Islam. You can see, if you look at a picture of Jerusalem, you'll see a bright, shiny gold dome. That's the Temple Mount. Mount Zion here is Jerusalem. Four, 144,000. So Jesus the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion, and I'm going to suggest that this is a physical Mount Zion. There's are those who believe that four, chapter 14, verse 1, is a heavenly Jerusalem. I don't agree. I believe it's a it's physical Mount Zion. Jesus is standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem with 144,000. Please turn to chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, and we'll see who the 144,000 are. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. The 144,000 are God's servants sealed, protected during the great tribulation period. And I might add, when you're, when you're studying Revelation, everything is not chronologically sequenced. There are some what's called interludes. In chapter 7 and chapter 14 are a couple of those. You go into chapter 7 from chapter 6 and we're at the sixth seal judgment. The seventh seal judgment doesn't happen in chapter 8. Chapter 7 is an apprentices, if you want to think of it that way. It takes place at the beginning of the tribulation period. God is sealing 144,000 Jewish servants who will be throughout the great tribulation period proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Satan will not be able to kill them, nor the Antichrist, nor the false prophet, because they're sealed here, it says. The sealing here is much like the way God sealed Job. Things happened to Job. Satan had a certain, certain amount of latitude, could not kill him. These 144,000, the Antichrist will try but cannot kill these 144,000. They are the servants of God, and they got their, on their forehead their father's name. They are a target. If you can, if you can what is going to be like in the Great Tribulation period, and these 144,000, what are they going to go through? And it's important to try, try to imagine what they're going to go through in order to understand what they're doing in chapter 14. 144,000 having their father's name, I'm back in, in chapter 14, verse 1 of the book of Revelation, having their father's name written on their foreheads. They are going throughout the world during the great tribulation period telling people about Jesus. 
And if you read the second half of chapter 7, you'll see that there's an innumerable number will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the Great Tribulation period. And it's because of the witness and the servanthood and the obedience of these 144,000 as they go throughout the world doing what their father has told them to do with their father's name written in their foreheads. That's the picture in verse 1. Earthly Jerusalem, Jesus, and 144,000. In verse 2, Revelation 14. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. There's one of the clues I would suggest to you that that verse 1 is not in heaven because John hears a voice from heaven. If he were in heaven, he would simply say, I heard a voice, right? If I hear something in the foyer, I would say, I heard something come from the foyer. If I was in the foyer, I wouldn't say I heard something come from the foyer because I'm in the foyer. So I suggest, what I'm saying is not, not widely accepted. Hey, the book of Revelation is tough. And lots of much better theologians than I would differ on it. The voice is from heaven. It's the voice of many waters. We won't turn to that, but that goes back to <coughs> Revelation once again. When Jesus spoke, it was as the voice of many waters. Great thunderings, back to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, great thunderings and lightnings and voices were coming out of the throne. The throne is where God the Father is. So here's, here, here, here's a picture. Jesus, 144,000, they hear the voice of God. Great thundering. And they heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Back to Revelation 5. We're introduced to those who have harps. It's the four beasts and it's the four and twenty elders. They have harps. So he hears them playing on the harps. Now verse 3. And they sung, who's they? It's the 144,000. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne. The 144,000 are singing praise to God with such a focus and an intensity and a thankfulness that they're before the throne of God, spiritually. Their feet physically are still on the earth, but the praise in their heart, the, just screaming out the praise they have. And, and imagine what, 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 what that praise is going to sound like. What they went, through, what they're going to go through in the great tribulation period. Those they're going to see come to Jesus Christ. Because in, 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 in chapter 7, we're told it's an innumerable number whose robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. They came out of the tribulation period. These ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are singing praise. Praise to God the Father. A praise that takes them to the throne room of God. 
Verse 1, you're on, they're on earth. Verse 3, they're praise. They're before the throne. Hallelujah. I'm suggesting that praise, praising God, that's the first step. That's the first step. As, 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 as we seek to make sure that our love is hot for the Lord Jesus Christ, as we seek to, to live a life of service, start by praising God. Praising Him for what? Back to verse 3, Revelation 14, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. That's how we know it's not the beast and the elders are doing the singing, by the way. They're singing before them. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. No one is going to know the words of that song. Why? We're not told. Why? Why isn't it written down in, our, in, 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 in some hymn, hymn book someplace? It seemed like that'd be a, a pretty awesome song to sing. Because we aren't going to go through what they're going to go through in the Great Tribulation period. They have a song to sing. It's a song of praise. It's a song of, of thinking about what Almighty God's done for them. And they're singing it, praising God. And each of us, if you're a born-again born again believer, you have a song. You think back to, to what, what, what Christ has done for you, what God's done for you. Trials and tribulations that, 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 that you got out of. The many ways that we can look back and see how how God has so protected us, strengthened us, encouraged us. That's our song. Because it's us. So when you think of the things about what God has done, you can't help but start to praise Him. Praise Him, praise Him. Right? That's what they're doing. But there's something else that they're doing. Verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. Huh. The 144,000, they follow Jesus, whithersoever he goeth. And we saw when Jesus was on the earth, he hit the Sea of Galilee, and he met Peter and Andrew. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. Follow the Lamb. These 144,000 are praising God, and what comes out of their praise is a desire to follow Jesus. Whithersoever he goes. Wherever. Do you think Peter and Andrew knew where Jesus was going when they dropped their nets and started following him? I don't believe they had a clue. Where are we going to go? I'm following the Lamb. The praise to Almighty God will lead to following Jesus, following the Lamb, wherever he goes, doing whatever we instructs us to do. 
And what do we know about Jesus? We know he loves people. And so I'm going to suggest that if you're following Jesus, if you're following the Lamb, you're going to do things which demonstrate your love for Jesus through your love for people. How many of you have you heard of Wentley Phipps? Anybody heard of Wentley Phipps? He's a um, his pastor, and he is uh, an amazing man. I'm gonna he 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 he's a singer with a phenomenal voice, but a voice that you know he's praising God. And there's a YouTube video, Wintley, W-I-N-T-L-E-Y, Phipps, Amazing Grace, in Carnegie Hall, where he's singing Amazing Grace. If, you, if you've never heard him, I would, I would suggest you hear him. It's truly, his voice is truly phenomenal. And you, and it, it, it and the way he sings, he's praising. He, he, he's doing more than singing. He's praising God. And, and, then when we, and we all know when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less praise. We've no less days to sing God's praise. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. We're going to be singing praises to God throughout eternity, and we're going to be following the Lamb. And, 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 I, and I had the privilege to see Mr. Phipps in a concert. Hour and a half, two hours. It, it, it was phenomenal. And we got to the end, and he says, I've got a secret. We're all, okay. He says, I'm going to go to heaven. Okay, that's not much of a secret. I, I would have guessed that you're going to go to heaven. And he says, one day in heaven, there's going to be a knock on the door. And I'm going to go to the door, put my holy hammer down in my mansion, put my holy hammer down, go, go, go open the door, and Jesus is going to be standing there. And it's going to say, Wentley, I'm going to a faraway place, to a place where people have never heard of me. Do you want to go with me? Jesus is knocking on our door right now. And I bet you he's saying, Chris, I'm going to go to someone in your neighborhood. They don't know me. You want to go with me? What are we going to say? How do we walk in the spirit? How do we make sure our love doesn't go cold? 
How do we count it all joy when you fall into various divers temptations? How do we demonstrate our love for Jesus? It starts with just praising God from the depths of our being, praising God. And then from there, we'll follow the Lamb wherever He takes us. <clears throat> now, there, there, there may be those here today who may not understand much of what I just said because they've never put their trust in what Jesus did as the Lamb when He went to the cross and He died for us. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I'm going to plead with you to do that today. I'm, I'm going to sing. I'm going to say a prayer, and then Kirsty will come and, and lead us in our altar call song. And I'll, I'll be standing down here. If there's anyone here who has never accepted Jesus, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. So let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your love. And thank you for Jesus. And Father, if there's anyone here who has never accepted Jesus, I would pray that they would say a prayer something like this. I would pray that they would agree with you, Almighty God, that all have sinned and fallen short. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would come to the place where they would know that their sins have separated them from you forever. Separate them from you. But there's a way, there's a way back to you. And it's through accepting and trusting that when Jesus died on the cross, that his death takes their sins away. But they need to accept that. They need to receive that and believe that and trust in that. And I pray that they'll do that today. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray.